<laughs> What's up, buddy? <laughs> Nothing, bro. I wanted to ask him about the origin of the name Gamkido. Oh, you should. Because it kind of sounded like when he started talking about martial arts, I was like, whoa. Oh, yeah. Probably like dojo. dojo. I'll, I'll yeah. ask him that. Tell a joke quick, right? Something, something family friendly. Ever hear the one about the physicist who flipped over his dune buggy? <laughs> I think you told me this. Apparently, he forgot to plug in his negative integer into his parabolic trajectory equation. <laughs> <laughs> what a goof. What's wrong with it? Nothing. I like the pirate one better that you told back in high school. It's not kid friendly. <laughs> is it? It's not. About the I mean, pants? it is. <laughs> it's about pooping his pants. <laughs> <laughs> I am back. Yay. Yay. Brett was just telling jokes. Oh, good. <laughs> Nonstop. I will, I will delete my recording from that part. I will refresh. <laughs> All right. Also, I, I did know you also had a big old pile of questions, apparently, that I'm sure I've answered like the first two of. No, uh, we were definitely. literally just talking that without us asking, you've just checkmarked <laughs> down the list. So, Almost all of them. Nice. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my career is obviously like talking nonstop about these things. So I'm yeah. I'm happy to like, ah, uh, yes, I will pontificate at length. <laughs> no, we love that. That's, that's what it's so fun, actually. Like, because everybody that's listening to our podcast, they've listened to me and Taylor drone on about <laughs> everything under the sun. And so it's fun to get somebody else to come in and just not be afraid to grab the reins and take it where they will. And honestly, like I said, you've you've covered pretty much all of our questions. So, are there new questions that have emerged throughout the? Uh... Well, Taylor. Well, oh, I have a quick yeah. question. Sure. Yeah. Because we were talking about this, and we were talking about um, earlier about martial arts and things like this. And you were talking about how you wanted to run uh, Gamkido like a dojo, which dawned on me that the like. <laughs> The the word gamkido kind of sounds like martial arts, like and it is I was a thousand percent intentional. <laughs> oh, okay, great, because that's what was my question. Is like, how did you settle on gamkido, and like, what are the roots of that name? If you don't want to share it, that's fine. no. I mean, yeah, yeah so and very specifically, aikido, as opposed to other kinds of martial arts, and there's there's many reasons for that. I, uh, when I say I study, like, I read books on dojo business models and about philosophy of aikido and so on. And even though in mixed martial arts, I was I was a wrestler, grappler. I wasn't a striker. I never actually did Aikido throws, et cetera, but I would fight guys in Aikido uh, and among other things to figure out like their approach to things, their attitudes about things, et cetera. And one of the things that I, I sort of surprised me about it because in wrestling, it was, I was like, no matter what we did, it was really practice for like the competition. It's really, I like the practice the most. I found practice the most satisfying, just like going in there, doing it, building up a good sweat, exercising, practicing these, drilling these, whatever. I like that the most. And then the competitions kind of take it or leave it. Like, if I could have just like sat out those, I would have maybe been happier and been like, look, I, I want to get in shape. I want to enjoy what I'm doing. I don't care if I get a gold or a bronze or what in the record books, whatever. I just want, this is this is good feels to do. Aikido, that's much for the philosophy. Um, like they literally, at least traditionally in the origin, there's some deviations in modern society. But originally, Aikido is no competitions, no tournaments. It literally is people taking turns and like, it is my turn to throw you and you will practice safely landing this being thrown. And vice versa, 
of like uh, one of the books talks about like a, a wedding stone and a knife of like we practice with one another in this way. And in much the same part of in our club, even though most of our people are fundamentally like technical game designers in their skill set, they mainly want to game design. They they program well enough to not have to lean on somebody else and tug their shirt and be like, please implement this for me. Um, but in order to do that functionally on a team, somebody else has got to kind of be doing some art and some sound, some music, whatever. So we kind of take turns doing that for each other where it's like, okay, I'm not a pixel artist, but I'll help you do some pixel art in exchange when I'm leading a project, you'll help me do some pixel art. And in this way, we're able to all practice the thing that we care most about because we help support each other. And like, I know my first choice wouldn't be to get thrown, but for someone else to practice that, I got to get thrown. And so we kind of have this sort of little kind of community orientation around that. Um, again, like super non-competitive in terms of like, there's a progression through it. And we do have a progression. We got kind of analogous very crudely to, to belts in terms of like historical progression, level of polish, when to take our course, our video courses, when to try a different kind of projects in our club and so on. And it's, it's, it's not strongly enforced. It's semi-optional. Some people kind of like have done some equivalent in the background substitute kind of jump right on uh, ahead on the order. But very much it's the same sort of thing of like, okay, if you come and don't know, have any idea of what the heck to do. And there's this broad landscape of all the possibilities we help narrow down to like, here's our white belt stuff, do these things. That's going to help you give you the confidence and ability and comfort level to do these like green belt, blue belt, whatever the schools all use different orders of belt colors anyway. Um, up towards our equivalent of like, okay, well now you've led a 3D project and a 2D project. You made games in Unity, you made models, you made Photoshop stuff, you made games without an engine. Now you've got this core set of strengths and skills to build upon and enough functional fluency in all of them to decide, okay, now where do I care to like move in the direction of? How do I want to think more strategically about it? Um, but yeah, very much directly influenced from philosophy of Aikido. Uh, we avoid the E in the middle of making it game keto. Uh, partly because like, I don't know. It makes it, I feel like it raises too many questions. Like, what's a keto? Um, and there's kind of an answer in Japanese as to what Aikido, but like, it's not spelled the same. And I it, yeah. just just wanted to, to be more of this. Like, uh, part of what I liked actually was trying to find a trademark stuff before I started. Before it was Game Keto, and it turned to Game Keto and moved to California. When I started the company in Atlanta, it was named after my blog, which was hobbygamedev.com. So it was hobbygamedev LLC. And one of the problems with that is like hobby game dev is a descriptor, like. I, it's really hard to own the phrase hobby game development. And if you could, I don't want to and shouldn't. Like, that's <laughs> not a productive way to, like, like if someone's trying to patent, like, the word hamburger. Like, get out of here. Don't do that. And so, like, when it came down to file a trademark, I was like, okay, well, I need kind of a made-up word. That's the easiest to protect. The domains are taken. The usernames are taken. Um, you, can, and you, you can ascribe it its own meaning in the same way that, like, Apple used to be a fruit. Google used to be a math number that no one cared about. Like you can give it this meaning because it's not a word in usage. And, and what I liked about game keto was because it lost the word game out of it. You're not trying to break it down into existing words. It's just this thing. Like apparently so haagen sounds really highfalutin. It's not a word that doesn't mean anything. It's literally started <laughs> by like Americans who wanted to sound like highfalutin European umlauts in the name. It's just a made up thing that now we associate with like tasty ice cream because they've established that whenever you see that, there's tasty ice cream going on. And so that, that's sort of the same idea as to like developing Game Keto where early on it felt weird and awkward and I still occasionally, like lots of people make the typo, they'll stick an E in the middle. Um, that's one of the ways we can kind of identify who's kind of in our like in-group is like they know how to spell the damn thing. Um, <laughs> if people make a typo in our Slack forum for our club and they put an E in the middle, our, our bot messages them as if they had like used a like forbidden word and is like, look buddy, <laughs> politely, just so they don't confuse people when you're posting to Twitter, et cetera. There's no E in the middle. Here's how to spell it. Um, I've definitely tweeted at you before and misspelled it. Probably. I, we were, yeah, we, we were, it's not a big deal for people outside the group. But that's again, it's one of these like signs like, ah, they, okay. <laughs> 
Yeah. Three strikes and you're out. New system starts today. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, yeah. And again, like, I mean, that, that, but the idea of like strikes and you're out again plays right back into this Aikido philosophy of like, it's not something designed to be pushing people out who want to do it. It's really like, I don't care your age. I don't care your physical health. We're going to do the things. You're going to be participating. You're doing it. You're benefiting from it. You're getting what you want out of it. Um, and, and like, we're, we're super non-competitive in part because part of what I think chews and grinds people up is that stress over like, I have to be the best or why am I doing this? Which has this negative side effect of then, uh, part of how like classrooms work, like structurally, right. Is that they create these bubbles and it's like, okay, you're only going to compare your ninth grade work to ninth graders. You're not going to compare your senior level college work to senior level college work. And as soon as you get out of that wall and you're like, oh my God, there's people who've been doing this for like 45 years <laughs> that like might be competing for the same job I'd really like to have. Um, you, you lose that ability to work across skill levels, but we really thrive on our projects have our seven-time project leads and our people who've been doing it for nine years and whatever, right alongside someone who just joined, just took my video course, fumbling their way through stuff. And they learn a lot from each other in this way that we would lose if they didn't feel like they're on the same side, if they felt competing with them compared to them rather than like, hey, can you help me do this better? And like, they'd love to because we're the kind of community that realizes everyone there got there by someone else being helpful to them. That's awesome. That is awesome. So, um, what, what types of games do you like playing the most? Like, is there a type of game that you feel like, uh, is more fun than others or even a type of game that like tends to, uh, excite you and like recharge your professional fuel tanks more? Yeah. My, my cop out answers, I'll, I'll drop some cop out answers and give like maybe answers people actually care to hear. Um, our one is like, I really like playing games made by club people. Um, and not just yeah. like, not just my club, not just my company. I mean like college clubs. I like seeing and playing their stuff because it just feels so much more real to me. Yeah. Like I can see the people through it. It's like, it's like a band that's playing at the pub and like those are human beings you could talk to afterwards versus like seeing a concert in a stadium is like cool. But there will always be a wall between me and these celebrities. Yeah. It lacks that like tangibility of like, I can see in their flaws. Like I could have done this. That could have been me interesting how might i done it is a different conversation than like if i have an opinion like how assassin's creed should have been made there's a bajillion budgetary political internal that got made the way it did for reasons that i just cannot struggle through um the other cop out answer is like old games i still like symphony of the night i'll still like golden island 64 i still like bubble bobble i still have some of those on like easy to play setups or whatever uh the stuff i grew up with like i think there's a certain phase at which when things connect to us as a child, there's a magic to them. We're like, oh yeah, it's it's kind of like uh, when you're a kid and there's certain like if you see a mascot or like a character in a Mickey Mouse costume, like that's Mickey Mouse. Like that's really an alligator standing next to the football field or whatever. That like, as soon as you get older, you're like that person's uncomfortable. It's hot in there. <laughs> They're not happy about it either. <laughs> and and when we're little kids, it can be this magic of like this fantasy world. We kind of grew up and it was like the playground on the street. And as we get older, we're like that team crunched. They got fired after it. Like that wasn't the way they felt like making that thing, but their boss yelled at them. And it's just like, look, I mean, I can still respect it as an artifact of industrial arts and way it's produced, but, but we lose that sort of connection to like this childhood memory of like, ah, that's my, that's my thing. The same way, like my wife connects to Pokemon for me, it's bubble bobble or gravitar or pinball or whatever. Um, and then the, the more recent, like the, the, the semi-modern answers and people prefer to hear. Um, I do like some open world stuff. I like the just cause franchise, the grand theft auto games. I've been playing through Witcher three, uh, nice. getting back into that. Just started Witcher 3 myself, so it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, I don't know. It's just, I, I, there's a part of me that I think has gotten a beneficial distance from those where the way I've explained it sometimes is like, I can make canoes in my garage. 
and still enjoy going on a cruise and have no delusion about like, I'm going to somehow learn something from this cruise that I'm going to apply <laughs> to the canoe in my garage. That's not what's going on. Don't even pretend like it is. Yeah. That was hundreds of people and millions of dollars. That's just not going to be related besides a yeah. float. Um, <laughs> and just not even trying to force it, which allows me to enjoy it at a different level of like, I'm not stressing about like, Oh, their UI is really doing something interesting. Maybe I should <laughs> like if I did with their UI, did that, that would be our entire game. We've had entire games where it's kind of like it would have been the UI part of a bigger right. project, and it's like about <laughs> sales. I don't know, cornering the market on cheese or something. <laughs> Excellent, cool. So uh, I'm gonna like just spitball some of these at you. Do you have like a, a favorite a favorite movie? Hmm. Never ending story. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, wow. throwback. <laughs> That's right. Still and yeah. forever. And 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 in a not very subtle way that I always tie everything back to what I'm doing anyway. Uh, it very much was this this appeal of the magic in it, and same sort of thing that appeals to me about Mist as well, which I kind of left off my list, but is also important to me. Where like in the movie, right, there becomes a situation where, like, okay, the world, the people aren't imagining and spoilers for 1984, <laughs> uh, not the book, but the year this movie came out, and like where. People weren't using their imaginations. They weren't making stuff. And like, that was a problem. And kids perceive it as a problem. They're like, adults use their imaginations. Adults are like, oh, it's fine. We just stop using our imagination to solve real problems. And I love the energy of like, no, it's a problem that people aren't fantasizing and dreaming and having ideas and seeing things and helping you, whatever, create characters and stuff. Uh, and then moreover, that even near like kind of like uh, the conclusion of the first movie, and frankly, the only never ending story movie that, that was ever made as uh, <laughs> is well established through internet lore. Uh, ends on the point of like the world has to be reimagined in a way it ought to be. And, and I really like this, this sort of, uh, we kind of tap into a little bit as to like for among our advanced members and conversations and topics and stuff like, okay, well there's this thing from game development where like, okay, I saw some other game. I had some ideas about how I thought things should be. I try to make it the way I want it to be. And I think there's this useful kind of intersection of those of like, okay, well, I can imagine stuff. Can I imagine the world more the way I want it to be? How do I make those thoughts into reality around me? And, and that to me is just a very neat and appealing concept of like, rather than assuming like I live in the world, it is as it is. There's this kind of classic uh, Steve Jobsism about like, and obviously he had like billions of dollars and connections to uh, founding of this company, et cetera, and, and a totally different scale than the rest of us in life. But literally it was like, the world's a thing we create that we live in that like, you don't just have to exist within. Like you can, you can move it a little bit and maybe not everyone can move it as much as him and his window of time he had. But we can still move it rather than accepting like this is how it looks and how it is and realize like how much around us is an invention, is something that at some point somebody had an idea and got carried away with. And, and, and again, so like in my case, like there's not really a category for what my business is doing, but I was like, but there ought to be. And so I'm like, even if I'm, I don't know, I'd like to be the first in the category, but even if I'm struggling in the category, if the category exists, I'm happier with the world as it is. Even if I create this space and someone else comes in like, oh, we have resources to throw at this. Let's do it for real. I'm like, oh, no. Um, <laughs> great, because it should be happening and this should exist. And, and trying to, you know, whatever I can do to nudge things to get more people making games or using their imaginations productively as adults or those are kind of things that to me from Never Ending Story still kind of are tied to those memories for me. Awesome. Yeah, that was poetic. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, a, a favorite book or a favorite author? Yeah, sure, I want to uh, just tack on I would love to see a Chris Delion reading list. Right? <laughs> oh, I, know. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Well, so among games, Game Feel by Steve Swink. Big fan of that. Um, and, uh, and that's partly because when I talked about, like, there were things in schools about how they approached games that weren't the kind of games I cared about. Uh, a lot of game studies traditionally have come from board and card games, 
which are games of decision where like I choose to use my chess piece here to there. And if I fail, it's because I made the wrong move, not because I like missed, which is this different kind of skill. Yeah. Um, or they come from, again, like games of chance. It's like probabilistically, this was the right call, but it was a call I made. A lot of our games don't work. Like they work on more like almost like why you miss a basket in basketball is like you're sweating, you're exhausted, you're under stress. Someone's coming at you. There's more stuff going on than you could possibly track all at once. And you get this heuristic like snap, decent judgment quickly. And that is more so for me, uh, where for my academic background came out of pinball's trajectory into like high speed, spatial relationships, angles were like, I know I want to hit that thing, but it's so hard to hit that thing uh, using my little button interface. But Steve Swinks was kind of foundational research in this area where it really focused on game design, uh, the book again being Game Feel, as to like these moment to moment, like really subtle nuances about like how the animation frame on screen relates to us. So this object feels heavier or lighter or about how we read uh, our muscle memory into like a reaction time and our cognitive loop. And it deals with these games as this artifact, which cannot be directly simulated by games, board games, strategy games, for that matter, storytelling games, which not anything wrong with any of those. But those are lenses into very particular parts of games or aspects of games or kinds of games. Anyway, that for me was ignoring stuff like I liked Pac-Man and Space Invaders and Missile Command and Mario and these other kind of action-y movies, stuff moving around games. And it kind of better helped me feel like there was people talking about this, researching this. He was in on my thesis committee for my pinball research stuff in grad school. Uh, in terms of non-game stuff, I'm a big fan of Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Um, nice. Like I said, real big on stoicism in a way that like occasionally I feel kind of gross just because it's been very co-opted in like the modern business world. Yeah. In a way of like it's become like these motivational quotes and stuff, which is like not bad. I'm glad people are finding it and seeing it, but it really doesn't have to be that. Um, it really doesn't have to be connected to like, and that's why I'm going to raise my ROI. Uh, like <laughs> it's this really useful perspective from part of what's so cool about stoicism is there's like, um, and I'm, I'm straight stealing this point off like some old YouTube lecture from a professor from like 40 years ago or something is like stoicism's like key people. And I'm going to blank a little bit on the name. I think Epicurus maybe is the other key example, but like, uh, Marcus Reelis was like Roman emperor, like head of kind of everything by just position in life other person who's like a landmark writer for stoicism was like uh, uh, a slave former slave who was like unable to walk from his physical injuries like super not living the good life and that it's a philosophy that was compatible across like in both cases it was like how do I humble myself to what's in my reach how do I like make the most of my time here how do I not get sidetracked by people's opinions uh, who like frankly and he does all these just like little great points about like we treasure our own opinion first and foremost, but somehow we get sidetracked on what those other people think and like, what the heck do they know? And how soon their thoughts will be forgotten anyway. And people stress over like long-term fame or whatever, but like those people are no better than the people around today. Um, it's just, I thought a whole bunch of really helpful kind of interesting tidbits from it. Uh, or on the same kind of line, Walden by Henry David Thoreau um, mm-hmm. has also been sort of a, one of my other kind of little personal go-to books of uh, lots of interesting things about it that despite being written in his case, 150 years ago ish, still super applicable to to like uh one of his kind of like central kind of early tenets of the idea of it and some people kind of overstate it to be like oh he went off and hid in the woods and lived alone I'm like no nah, it's kind of not totally what went on he had visitors and he he's met with his family and he traveled in the city and whatever but like his sort of starting point of like okay what if instead of the equivalent of you know boston that time in history being coming super wealthy and high status whatever what if he like just wanted to kind of exist in a way he's comfortable with where he's happy with what he's doing. And he, and basically like there's this line of like, 
if people wouldn't use a bunch of stuff they don't need, they could kind of survive on like a few rods of land. Like suddenly there's not this problem of like, how do I pay off my, I don't know, horse buggy, whatever the heck they had back then or my enormous house. And instead, like, maybe I don't need any of that. And now what do I do with my time and who am I now? And that to me is a far more interesting question uh, in a way that like part of what I've uh, obsessed is the wrong word, but I've very much oriented my life. Like I mentioned earlier, of like part of why I'm not maybe explosively financial, whatever. Like that's never my priority. It's like, okay, well, how do I live the life I feel like content and moral about and like ethical about and things are being done the way I think they ought to be done. And at whatever level of scale that exists at, then that's the it should exist at until I can find a way to keep that level of integrity to it as it grows, even if that's slower with like a literal rate limiter on it. Um, and a lot of that is based on that Walden sort of mentality as to like, this is an approach to our relationship to the world around us that rather than uh, winding up on this treadmill where it's like this thing where the person driving the Mercedes is way more jealous of the person in the Lamborghini than, than me and my beat up 11 year old busted Honda versus anybody's car. Cause I'm like, I'm not in that competition. I'm not running that race. That's not, that's not what this is trying to be. Um, and, and there's this very bizarre effect that one of the other books I've been reading recently about um, business profitability, whatever, is every business owner kind of gets in this habit, and I say every, many, of trying to like, okay, I'm going to reinvest all my earnings back into my company, and like that's how I'm going to grow it, and that's what I'm going to do. And that's, that can be smart early on, necessarily on when they don't have enough income coming in or whatever. But there's a, there's a point, and the point is not super far along, where if you don't start structuring yourself a little more maturely in terms of like setting aside a consistent salary for self, and like setting aside profit from the company, separate from your operating expenses, et cetera, there's companies that are making millions of dollars a year that are like burning all but like a hundred grand off the top of that or all but like five grand off the top of that. And like any given month, if they have a bad month, they just cease to exist because they like never realized like, hey, at some point, is there some purpose to this besides like explosive, unsustainable growth? And I've got friends who live in New York City making great money what they do who are check to check because of the cost of New York City. And I'm in Los Angeles. And so we know there's places here that would stretch us way tighter than we are. But we're like, that's not the point. That's not the competition. That's not the winning scenario. Um, there's an old, I want to say Peter Drucker. I'm going to feel awful if I forgot which name. But he was like, one of like the founders, whoever, whoever, whatever name is supposed to be, one of the founders like modern economic theory. And he kind of made this point that like uh, money to a business is kind of like oxygen to an animal of like, you need it to keep going. But like you, the point of the animal isn't like how much oxygen can I circulate through me? Like that's that is in no way the superior animal because it's like funnels in so much air and pushes up so much CO two. Why the hell is that animal there and what's it here to do? And as a business, that's so many people lose track of it, like both to pivot towards maximum profitability or maximum revenues or whatever, and they completely lose all touch with like why did this exist in the first place? And that's where I didn't feel like when I was on board the. Uh, university scale path for this. I was like, okay, I get the mission of this. I'm on board with the mission of this. The scale of cost at which this operates, I think is contrary to the fundamental purpose for which this thing existed, at least within my particular field. Again, not to bash on university in general, or again, it's still the right answer for some people's path, level of investment, priorities, opportunities, and situation and so on. Not to hate on that, but just to say for the, I, I want to be able to help a lot of other people who otherwise is just not, they're at a different phase of life where they don't want to relocate for a few years, where they don't feel like that's a smart economic trade-off for them to be making long-term. Absolutely. Thank Awesome. Yeah. Uh, okay. Last one in this series of questions. <laughs> <laughs> but do you have a favorite band or artist or album, something along those lines? Sure. Uh, yeah. So I still listen to Linkin Park. Nice. Um, and, and fairly unapologetically, there was a point earlier on life where I was kind of like disclaiming this. And, and maybe it was because I was online dating and have a lot of people be like, that's a deal breaker. <laughs> um, and, and that is something that like, 
uh, obviously, like it was, it was music we listened to at wrestling practice. And so again, for me, it's it's like hook into this point in my life earlier. Or for many years, also in college, I listened to old NES music. Like I'd pump up for taking a test, but listen to like Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Nice. Be like, yeah, that was that was that time when I fought someone twice my age and four times my weight and won. Kind of kind of in that headspace. Uh, so I like game music. I like that it's it's easy to listen to the background. Um, and and aside from that, I mean, that's kind of otherwise. I think like a lot of people in the background, I will just find some sort of miscellaneous twenty four seven study beats jams to concentrate whatever oh, electronic yeah, yeah. mixes in the background. Where yeah. I don't really care what it is, as long as I don't have to keep thinking about like not this album or like the there's right. no lyrics to distract me or whatever. That's why those are so popular. You they just turn them on, so let popular. it go. Yeah. And there's hardly ever anything bad on them. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although there was a, uh, there was some sort of thing that like was labeled as instrumental. And so our club is like, keeps things family friendly. And there's for all kinds of reasons. We have occasional younger members will come through siblings or whatever. They want to show their work to friends and family or recruiters, but we have a channel where we share music. We listen to all we work. And I shared this one that was like labeled as instrumental. And when I later listened to it all the way through this very long mix, there's a whole bunch of really awful language near the end. And I was oh, like, no. <laughs> I, I should have vetted 100% of this enormously long music compilation before I stuck it on our family friendly <laughs> forum. It's now buried in history, so no one's going to find which one it was, but shame. Oh, we'll me. find it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about, real quick, what about fiction books? Oh yeah, uh, Never Ending Story by Michelinda uh, oh, is an easy answer. Okay, um, but let's see. As far as let's see, other than that, because mm, the other things off the top of my list are other nonfiction books. Ooh, I might have to dig longer for that. Uh, I haven't f- been reading fiction oh. in a long time, so I get yeah, it. Yeah, me neither. I will say I I really liked the Mist books. There were three books that were that now they're often released as kind of a, a compilation set. Um, they were co-written by one of the original Mist developers along with a professional writer so it's actually like well written and very true to the canon in a way it's cool. like miss the video game uh yeah. it's it's based on miss the video game but it's it's three books and it tells kind of the backstory of the main character atris and people in their oh, family wow. and it better kind of spells out kind of the rules of their universe and their their ip that's um, cool part of what i've always appealed to me about mist was that it was for once like not a film ip not a toy ip not a tv ip this is a video game. This started in video games. This stayed in video games. This is a video game concept. And moreover, not an absurdist one. I, I like Joust. I like Mario. But like, clearly those are not designed for story. They're not trying to create anything even vaguely coherent. But like this really nailed it on both axes at a time when like nobody else was. And, and still to this day, there's not a lot like it. That like is distinctly like a super successful, clear story world of concepts. Games originated. And uh, yeah, not like I say, surrealist, absurdist silliness, which is fine. It has its place, but like, it's very different from what this is. Did you read Ready Player One? I did. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, there is obviously it's lots of pandering. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but uh, you know, uh, I'm the person it panders to, so parts of it I was like, pander to me, yay! Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I I I I think in a way that um, same reason as to like. Lots of early games have some problematic things going on culturally and so on from different times, from creators who were born in different times, from stories that are historically and highly antiquated being kind of echoed. Um, I think in the same way, it's got some of those same kind of problems necessarily yeah. because of its kind of subject matter focus. And I, I simultaneously acknowledge those and also kind of appreciate what it did in terms of like trying to really kind of do this hodgepodge of thing where I think some people really... Eh, missed the point's not fair, but like they 
would be like, oh, how come Iron Giant has rocket fists? And like these people never played modded Quake too. Because I'll tell you, <laughs> we had like Powerpuff Girls running around. We had like <laughs> no one has any respect at all. And like these again, like the, the fan community, like they love it enough to like I'm gonna open. I'm gonna okay. Back then, people would steal Maya. Would like go to painstaking, <laughs> like make dozens of animations, model their own character, low res texture map, and low uh, everything for these characters to remake these characters they love, and just like drop them in as like player models for like Quake and Quake Two and whatever. <laughs> and that was because like I just wanted to spend more time around Mega Man. I know he didn't shoot rockets, like I don't. That's not the point. Um, and I think there was probably I can't find it on the internet, so I can't prove a thing. I'm pretty sure that at some point there was an Iron Giant like modded MD2 file to like run around and like murder everybody with and we know that's not the character that's super not the point there's right. probably like an atris from mist running around murdering people which again is like it's making any right. sense but like oh but i love it so much um so i think I, I really i thought actually did that well by how the absolute irreverence players had to like eh it's cool um right. <laughs> and tapping into that like, that's the side of the world whether or not the people watching the movie recognize like that's been going on for generations yeah true that's a really good point actually well shoot <laughs> that's literally the bottom of our question list we just burned through all of the stuff about gam keto and indie dev in general and uh and then of course all of our our uh our greatest hits list from from (laughs) here i I mean so again because i might reuse this discussion on my side too are you have you ever answered the questions from your side like your favorite books your favorite games etc or at least maybe i only use that (laughs) part from my side from from our end, it's probably been just a hodgepodge for because we've been going since early 2017, and we have released an episode a week since then. Nice. Yeah. And it started off just being um, me and Rhett not really knowing anything about video games and wanting to learn how to make them. And so I would say we started off very focused about like what yeah. we were doing week to week and what we learned that week and that sort of thing. And then as things kind of progressed, it kind of just ended up being like an hour of two friends talking about video games and, and, you know, our slow little, little progress that we made each week, you know, cause nice. we're, we're making games and, um, we run a discord that's doing pretty well to have several hundred people in there and, um, yeah, bringing nice. people on the podcast when we can, which has been super fun. It's been something we've been up to more recently. Yeah, that's been our focus uh, as of late is definitely trying to like highlight other personalities such as yourself and um, and kind of bring more attention to indie dev that way. But yeah, if, if uh, there's anything for your podcast you want to. Yeah, so it's OK. Do. I mean, so the stuff I usually ask is something along the, uh, the pattern initially is like, what do you uh, or maybe it's like a high level. Uh, what do you see your main kind of role as or focus of skill sets even if you have multiple uh programmer side design side etc and or just kind of like how you got there what your steps were what courses you took online or resources you found helpful to get your footing in it um i can start uh so i started well i took i took some programming classes in college i started back in 2008 um i took a computer science class at willamette university in salem oregon where i attended and struggled really hard. So I, I got an A minus, which was like the hardest earned A minus I ever got in intro to programming. And then I took data structures and it, the course started off with the professor saying, all right, we're going to throw you in the, the ocean and see if you can swim. And I <laughs> could not swim. Uh, so I dropped out. I ended up uh, majoring in film studies, um, kind of tangentially related because I, I took a computer animation course 
uh, and really enjoyed that. And that was geared towards the film studies major. But then after I graduated from college, I like I had trouble finding work. Um, so I got basically some tech support type jobs that were paying like just barely over minimum wage, you know? And uh, so I, I, I work for Garmin, the company that makes GPS and they have an educational assistance program. Nice. Yeah. Vivo yeah. fit. Yeah. <laughs> I helped support those when they first came yes. out. Yeah. Um, that would be this one. This is like a number two from okay. a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, but anyways, Garmin helped pay for school. So I went to uh, Oregon State University online for a year, uh, basically redoing intro to programming and data structures. <laughs> and then I got another job, uh, which wouldn't help me pay for school. And so I started doing stuff like the Odin project um, and free code camp, which are these web development free boot camps. Nice. And I started learning JavaScript and that sort of thing. Honestly, the my first intro to game programming was I took your free Pong course. Hey, codeyourfirstgame.com, which is actually yeah. totally unrelated to the trademarked game Pong by Atari. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just, just happens to be a 1970s genre of game with paddles on each yeah. side of the screen and a ball that you try to get past them. It's kind of tennis-oriented. Tennis that did not sound scripted at all. No. So. <laughs> Totally unrelated to any trademark properties. You know, that was a time when like chips were sold specifically to play that style of game because it was a whole genre. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, so I did that for a little while. I went through about half of your other course. I think I made Brick Breaker and that was as far as I got. Um, That's the important part. <laughs> yeah, which now, by now I've made Brick Breaker like five times. Nice. Uh, and then when... After that, I got really burned out on programming, uh, so I didn't do it for a while. And then Rhett and I decided to do Game Devs Quest, and we bought the um, unit, the main Unity course on Udemy, taught by Ben Tristam. Oh uh, yes, I am familiar. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so I ran through that whole thing. It took about eight months. Nice. And that's kind of where I'm at. So with with the work that I do, I do some programming, um, a little bit at work. I do a lot of PowerShell scripting, and uh, I work for a library and I manage the catalog system there. Um, and so I do a lot of uh, basically reports, uh, querying our SQL database and getting information about like what types of items are circulating and that sort of thing to our staff. But um, that was kind of how I got started. And now it's just been for the last like year and a half streaming a lot of Unity game development and Pico 8. I've been doing a lot of game jams with Pico 8, which has nice. been fun. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I would say my primary role is a uh, programmer, although I'm kind of taking on that role recently of uh, putting it all on myself. And so I, I'm learning pixel art, which has gotten immensely better over the last eight months or so. And uh, Yeah, your Iceberg 2 pixel art is on point. Yeah, I just finished the low-res game jam uh, yes. using Pico A. And our first game jam we ever did was for the climate game jam. We made this game called Iceberg, where it's literally you don't do anything. You just open the game, and there's this iceberg floating in front of you, and you're watching it melt. And you So the only thing you could do in that game is watch it melt and contribute to global warming, or you can click exit and then stop emitting CO2 or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. So I made a, a sequel to that game which is basically you and Donald Trump running around on an iceberg. And if he catches you, the world is doomed. So nice. That, <laughs> that was done in Pico 8. That's but. fairly accurate. <laughs> <laughs> the science checks out. Right. 
uh, yeah, so there, there's my side. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. And my path to this is completely different from Taylor's. In fact, like my, uh, my living that I've made my entire life has never been, uh, anything technical related. Um, but I've always, you know, loved working with computers and, um, obviously grew up loving video games cause who didn't, that's why we're all here. Um, and you know, I've always had friends, like, especially in high school and this kind of talk like circles back to what I was talking about before, like how there's all of these people who talk about doing things. And I found myself always wanting to do something, wanting to make something is like the broadest term that I can put it into. I just want to create things. And I found myself running in circles with lots of talkers and they just talk themselves up into a fit, but then not a single person wants to take that first step. But Taylor has always been a doer and we've known each other from since high school. And it's like, hey, you want to play in a band? Yeah, all right. So we did that. Hey, you want to do this? Yeah, all right. So we did that. And, you know, we tried. Uh, <laughs> there was one time a couple years ago, it's like, hey, I've been really wanting to make films for a while. You want to make a short film? Yeah, all right. So we did that. And <laughs> and then shortly after, that's kind of when we discussed this idea. It's like every time we would brainstorm our film, we had such a blast just talking about it. And uh, we'd always say at the end of it, like, man, we should have recorded that because I've been doing podcasts now for several years. And um, I just I just love talking, apparently. <laughs> and uh, and that was like what me and Taylor love doing on this film. You know, it's like, how can we make this happen on film or how can we edit this or how can we write this into the script? And then we went in, we broke into a building and filmed our movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was fun. We got ended up getting kicked out by security late in the night. And, uh, <laughs> and then later on, uh, humble bundle was selling this, you know, this, uh, game developer bundle. And it included like click team fusion and uh, pixel edit. edit and uh, marmoset hexels, which is like one of my favorite um, graphic uh, art programs. And I don't know, a couple of other things. I can't remember what some lighting things. But uh, anyway, I mentioned to Taylor because, you know, he always talks about making games and things like this. And I said, hey, man, you should take a look at this bundle. It might be kind of interesting. I don't know if it's anything you can use. I don't know anything about it. And he's like, hey, you're interested in making games? Me too. We should work together. And all this type of stuff. And which was nice because I kind of glossed over this, but when I was in high school, I had lots of friends who always wanted to make games. And uh, I have a friend now and no disrespect to him because he's a super talented guy, but he's been working on his own game engine for like years now. I don't know how long, like for as long as I can remember. And, uh, you know, he always sometimes hits people up and he's like, I'm ready to take the next steps. Let's talk about all this stuff. And before I had any game dev experience, like he really wanted me to uh, write his game and like write this whole narrative arc and create this story and create this world. So he just had this awesome game engine that he was going to finish soon. And, uh, and that, but that day never came. And so when Taylor was like, Hey, you want to learn to make games? I was like, let's do it. But this time we had the forethought to uh, make it a podcast and this idea being that it would, we could have this little roadmap that we ourselves created and, and highlight all the detours we took and all the obstacles we encountered. And that way, anybody wanted a, a place to start, they could go back to episode one, 
game devs quest and they could go, well, what did these guys do? Because they don't seem like that they're geniuses by any means. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm thinking, you know, if they can do it, so can I, which has kind of became our slogan. And I mean, the truth is, is like I've all of us done this, right? We're listening to music or we're watching a movie or we're reading a book or we're playing a game and we go, wait a minute. I think I could do this. If I mean, if, if just people are doing it, why can't I do it? Right. And that's how it starts for everybody. And so why, why can't it start with us? And uh, so that's kind of what we've been doing. I, I am still such a weak programmer. Uh, but Taylor, Taylor really gave me a strong foundation. In fact, uh, most of the code I learned, I learned from uh, uh, a tutorial that I shout out all the time, but it's R.B. Whitaker. Uh, he wrote a book called uh, The C-Sharp uh, Player's Please, yeah. Guide. And uh, I use that. But honestly, like his, he has a, a, a tutorial online that is like almost verbatim the book. So, you know, if you like to have a book in front of you, buy the book. It's really cheap. It's like 20 bucks on Amazon. It's a great textbook that I still flip through whenever I need help. But his, uh, his tutorial has everything that's in there too. So nice. um, that's kind of where I'm at. I'd like to consider myself a little bit more, um, I don't know, not a programmer by any means, but I still love game dev. I love everything that goes into it. Um, You're missing the music side. Rhett, Rhett uh, is great with Fruity Loops and yeah, nice. Uh, yeah, I'm okay. I'm not great, dude. <laughs> I think you're I'm pretty okay. good. <laughs> I mean, ten years of just like fumbling around Fruity Loops, I finally figured out how to make some things work. Um, just like people uh, with Unity nowadays, if they never like buckle down and take it serious, they just have this amalgamation of of shortcuts and figured out the interface. But yeah, no, I, I, that's kind of where I come from. Everything is music, uh, kind of like a professional musician, pseudo professional musician. Um, and uh, <laughs> what? Why are you laughing about that? <laughs> He's laughing at the pseudo part because yeah, you're, you're you, legitimate. No, you are a professional musician. Yeah. You've been paid to play music. That, that <laughs> is the qualifier. That's it. And yeah. somehow I'm like the least qualified person to do it. See, everybody that I play music with, they like have a, a, their degree is in um, flute performance <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> um, not to not yeah. flute performance majors, but. Um, but you're getting up there and doing it. It's all just this, like the whole thing we've been talking about. Right. Like, yeah. I, what is stopping people from doing it? I remember when you just uh, got put on the drum set for whatever the last performance you did and you were like all nervous about it. And then you just hammered out like, 15 shows or whatever so 20 something but yeah <laughs> <laughs> who's counting i mean uh, yeah. yeah but yeah. what's funny is how bad it was compared to if they had their routine drummer there but well i, I bet a lot of the stuff so i've worked with some very professional audio people and and there's things that audio people can pick up on of like mm, that's 22.5k that's <laughs> no, that, that bit rate that's that's not gonna work here and i'm right, like yeah. what, are, what are you talking about like oh it's like a high the 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 file quality is high but it got compressed somewhere along the line i'm like how can you tell right I um know. someone Some who doesn't do these that. things like i'm just like oh it's a drummer he's drumming this is amazing like that's my level of you know right yeah <laughs> see and that's kind of uh, i don't know there's a whole tangent there too but um, yeah, I come from everything from the same way that I came from music, which is this like punk rock school of just like, do it yourself. Um, you know, there in the age of the internet, there is not a single thing that you can't learn if you're willing to look. 
And I hate to say this, and I don't want to bring anybody down, but like one of the things I hate the most is like zero effort questions. It's like, did you Google search before you ask this? Because your, your question, if you copy and paste it from this Reddit forum into Google, you will find a thousand answers that have everything you need. Um, <laughs> 90% of my job, dude. Dude, I know. I know. <laughs> well, um, I, but I think that, I mean, it's much like to you, we're like, oh, I just played 20, 20, you know, performances or whatever. Like yeah. the things that seem easy to us, we very much take for granted how many hidden walls there are. Like, I know, even like being able to competently Google search, knowing what kind of thing in Google search. Uh, I'm kind of amused when like, so uh, several people in my family who are from a previous generation have gotten some version of Google Home, Alexa, whatever yeah. the government spies on us with now. And like, <laughs> they just can't even figure out like what sort of questions you can ask it. <laughs> And like and it's, it's like, a, and like they'll be like, "Oh, wins the game," and I'm like, "Look, it's got no idea what you're referring yeah. to." And, and we're so, but like it seems intuitive to us. Of like, I know exactly how to phrase my question. That's a no, good it's point. like your SQL searches, Taylor. It's like we know how to ask Google in a way that's going to shake it the question out of there because we know what's in there and how to ask right. it for it. But that's a good <laughs> yeah. point. Like my my dad, he uses his Google Home for like his like I guess flash briefing or whatever it's called on Google. Uh, his like daily like news bites in the morning and then the forecast and that's it. And he literally asks it if he needs a jacket today. That's all he <laughs> asks. Like <laughs> everything else is just like beyond his scope of of asking questions of this all knowing prophet. Uh, yeah, it's funny how that works. Well, and that's actually been uh, in my, in my like I say trying to make my stuff. How to make it work for more people? A lot of my course design and old blog entries and so on were like, okay, well, one of the problems before I did this like JavaScript solution was like some people just said never learn command line. And so I'd like like a blog article was like three pages long about like here's how to change directory in command line. Here's what an argument is in a command line. Because I realized how many people were slamming this brick wall of like I'm sorry I never had to use Unix or like I never had to navigate DOS. Therefore, none of the free resources out there worked for them because of this missing stepladder of like oh that's where you're stuck. Yeah, true. Um, and that's true too, because I guess a Google search sometimes just lands you right smack dab in like some intermediate level thing when you lack even the basic vocabulary of like what you need. Yeah. Oh, and this is where a lot of the, uh, like saying again, a problem I have when people just come right into Unity sometimes, they've only ever done Unity, not done non-engine game development or whatever, is that like it, the tool, all programming languages, all environments, all engines get developed in an ecosystem in which people have already been doing other stuff. People are coming into it off of XNA. People are coming into it off of like other tools, platforms, technologies they've been using. And, oh, it's ready for them. But it was like, we used to teach PHP to our grad students. And we're like, oh, should we try Ruby? And like every tutorial I could find for Ruby was like, oh, based on your knowledge of PHP you already have, <laughs> here's how to use it. And I'm like, okay, well, that won't help for people who don't yet know PHP. We got to get them, you know, wherever it is, got to build them that ramp. And so we wound up teaching them PHP anyway, probably later than we should have. True. Uh, <laughs> I probably shouldn't be dogging on these people too hard. I guess th these are all super, super valid points. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, like, but my, my, my world is like, how do I, like being very beginner sensitive. I'm just, that's my, my antenna are always up to that. It's a good point. That's a good point. No, and I gotta, I gotta be more sensitive anyways, and just in general. So. <laughs> well, and, and I, I like some of this stuff too. It goes back to this, it's kind of the joke, right? Like, what do you call a med student like with C's and is like doctor? Um, <laughs> like when we were on the like wrestling team or whatever, like some people on the wrestlers like weren't so great or newer to it, still like had a huge upper hand on somebody who like had never done athletic combat. Yeah, of like we can stop a fight, we can handle somebody, we can hold somebody up because like they've got no drilling, they've got no preparation, they've never even crossed their mind to sweat this. And everybody like even if you're doing it on a range of like, oh, but I'm not like the world's best musician. Like, yeah, but you're a musician. Like in a way, a lot of people just like aren't. 
I know that's true. <laughs> See, the, the thing people always tell me getting off stage, I'd be like, oh man, that show was a bummer. And they'd be like, yeah, but none of the people in the audience that paid to be here are doing what you're doing right now. So yeah. like, yeah, Laura, Laura and I have this problem when we watch like America's Got Talent or whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> look, the person sang opera. I don't, I can't evaluate that on any kind of spectrum. They could be the worst in the world at it or the best. And I literally can't filter upon like, yeah, sound like opera to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's kind of like a Jackson Pollock painting, right? It's like to, to some people, it's like, yeah, I get it. He threw paint at a canvas, but to other people, that's really something. Well, so actually, I really like the Pollock example because my, uh, my 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 dad's the only thing he likes about art museums is that like I like them, uh, and he's on the same sort of camp of like, what's the couldn't couldn't you have done this when you were like four? And and like my point is always like same thing for Rothko, who I'm also kind of like semi obsessed with, and it's that like, okay, well, I think you're missing the artistry here. Like this person didn't just paint a rectangle. This person didn't just splatter paint. They got someone to pay them millions of dollars to put it behind ticketed admission that people travel from around the world to look at. Do that part. Your yeah. four-year-old can't do that. You can't pull that off. Whatever's going on conceptually through academics and the arts and whatever to make it so like, yeah, but these two rectangles are different colors. That'll be $35 million. <laughs> Holy smokes. <laughs> that is hard. And in the same case, like during indie game development, again, like there's so many people will look at like, well, I could have made Flappy Bird. And it's like right. Flappy oh. Bird was two things. It was this piece of software. And then it was this thing that everyone in the world knows about. Yeah. And that's excruciatingly not a straightforward thing to navigate position, even with all the luck in your favor to pull right. off. There's a different the bit of machinery. And that's why I'm so I'm so bummed out with our current culture that we have online with um, just like critique culture, I guess, where all of a sudden everybody's a critic because everybody has a voice because they have a Twitter account or whatever it is. And what people do rather than like finding the like silver linings and all this stuff, they're like, well, you know what? I could have made that. Or I could have done it better. Like we get all these people wanting to refilm The Last Jedi or whatever it might be. Or I just read a review, like, you know, I just watched the movie for the first time recently, Bright on yep. Netflix, which I thought was a totally fun, light romp. And uh, critics just ripped it apart. And I was like, you know what? It's so much easier to say something negative about whatever it is than to just find that like one ray of golden sunshine in that movie. Because to, that, to a bunch of people, that movie is going to be fun. Yet for some reason, I don't know. Yeah, th I this was, I mean, this is obviously, again, spent a, a, a long time putting videos on YouTube. So I got familiar with the, the, the locals. Um, <laughs> and and it, it really, it's, it's like, and this is obviously not, not to give myself too much credit because it was small. I mean, I have some high viewership stuff, but it's viral videos I did a while ago. Um, the daily videos, like hundreds, which is small for YouTube numbers. But like people would comment as if it was like, if every single person watching a TV show like if the if the actors could hear what they're saying at home as to like their opinions, their thoughts on where the plot should go, what yeah. the show should be or do instead in a way that like the actors could then pause like they're on stage and be like, we're not going to do that. Like, that's <laughs> not what we're here to do. Like you can change the channel, but there's infinite other things on YouTube. There's infinite other things on other channels. Um, this mistaken impression that like, I love someone to summarize. They're like, Weird how consumers who spend like three dollars on a thing that goes beep bloop and has some moving pictures think they own like fifty percent stock ownership in the company on board of directors <laughs> and are like, "Here's what your next game should do." It's like they don't, uh, yeah. And the same, you know, uh, as part of it, like trying to foster game development, as to here's this craft where rather than being like, "Oh, here's what they should have done," it's like you make your thing the way you yeah. want it to exist. They'll make their thing the way they want it to exist. 
And there were this things that I just, just, just to try to fracture these arguments. So people would be like, Pokemon company should have done this. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure Pokemon company gets to decide exactly what they do, yeah. <laughs> why they do it, who it reaches and doesn't. And like, that's the nature of a business um, that it has to satisfy enough people to keep it going at a scale that's profitable for the owners of it. And anything beyond that, like, I don't go to sports stadiums or bars. I therefore don't think they should be torn down. I'm like, someone else apparently that appeals to to spend immense amounts of cultural money on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. Definitely something I, I contend with often. I think probably all of us do is that dreaded imposter syndrome. So anytime I start talking about myself, I'm like, but I'm not a real this. <laughs> I'm not a real that. I've only been paid to do it. I've only spent like years practicing it. But how did I dupe them? You know, that's the question. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, well yeah. Uh, and, and so, and this is uh, after I, uh, there's an article some years ago, like when, when I'm Google, one of the things I turned up from there was, they were interviewing, game developers who had been reasonably recognized accomplished about, uh, about like imposter syndrome for, I don't know if it was Kotaku or Polygon or something, but like I'm, I'm interviewed in there partly because like I had worked for a world rights company. I had made this like best-selling iPhone game. I was on the Forbes list, but like when I was making levels for boom blocks and like I had programmed my own tool for doing that inside the studio. Um, I still just like, I don't know. It seems like anybody can do this. Like I'm putting the blocks around and like there's some animals and then I kind of iterate on it and whatever. But after I left, uh, I discovered a couple years later from one of my coworkers, they dug through my trash area to take the levels I had discarded, be like, we're sticking all of these back in the game. We need these. We're going to use all of these. And I was like, yeah. no, design process is like having waste of your not as good stuff. But they were still like, we need these. And I was like, maybe <laughs> maybe I'm okay at level design or whatever it was I was, <laughs> I was doing. Uh, there's something there. Yeah, it's it, no matter what. In the, yeah, uh, yeah, no matter what you're doing or what, credibility or credentials whatever again people either just feel like oh that's not them or they don't earn that or it's it's bizarre and it really doesn't go away anymore like i say some companies grow enormous they're still like somehow not profitable because they just kind of didn't have a reference frame besides that put a slow boil right yeah yeah hmm. yeah well shoot I don't know. You have any other questions for us, sir? Uh, that's a good. So the other things I'll often ask, uh, one's a trivial one, is like, hey, shout out to websites, game names, Twitter handles, stuff they should follow, look up to either see your work or follow your thoughts, etc. Obviously, shout out podcast explicitly. Absolutely, yeah. So yeah, if you guys haven't figured it out, if you're listening to Chris's <laughs> stuff, we host a podcast. It's called Game Devs Quest. It's available on iTunes and many other podcast platforms, and it's kind of our number one. Uh, product at this time and you know we we like to tell people it should be for entertainment purposes only but if people <laughs> are really genuinely looking for a place figuring out how to start in game dev like seriously go back to episode one and just take a gander through and see if it suits you those first couple episodes are pretty dry but like we like to leave them there because because that's how everybody's beginning pro product is. Uh, it's kind of dry, or it might not be exactly what you want it to be. And we're trying to be as transparent as possible with the process along the ways. And those opening episodes, we, we talk a lot of time on working on game dev, learning code, learning to you know put pixels on a screen and animate them and do all this type of stuff. But we're also learning how to do a podcast together. Because while I had a lot of podcasting experience, Taylor had none. And we started recording our podcast before we actually even had a podcast. 
And so you get to hear us talk about how we made the the intro music for it and how we did the uh, album artwork for it. And then you get to hear us talk about um, brainstorming some game ideas and how we implement those and uh, how we abandon projects with uh, with never a thought afterwards. So <laughs> <laughs> an important skill, being able to quit stuff is an underrated ability. I yeah. think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't say no to anything. So that's true. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. <laughs> I just take on way too many projects, and then I'm just like in over my head completely. Like, okay, where do I start with this one, this one, and then I just ghost the other ones to use a, <laughs> a modern. Uh, if it's important, it'll find its way to the back of the stack. It'll right. Uh, Exactly, exactly. Um, Um, I was going to say, if anyone's interested in checking out our games, we have an itch page, gamedevsquest.itch.io. For a while, I was doing um, McFunky Pants one game a month. I did six rendition of those. Um, So you could see all of those in their glory. Everybody who's listening to this on the GDQ side of stuff, uh, McFunky Pants is one of our mentor and residents with Gam Keto Club. Yeah. Yeah. Krister Kaitila. He's one of my favorite people. Ever. He's so nice. He's so wonderful. He, he really perfectly fits our kind of, like I say, our non-competitive culture and jive of he's super experienced, but is like super patient with everybody and understanding and uh, like always trying to be like, okay, like it doesn't need to be a stressful thing. Doesn't it be? Oh know? yeah. Yeah. That was like the whole point too. We, cause we, we of course were there for the enjoy game dev conference. Oh uh, yes. And At enjoygamedev.com. The video is still available. Oh, yeah. wow. nice. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah. He, like his, um, well, both, your and his presentation were my two favorites. It was so fun. And his was all about the, the Zen of game dev and the last slide at the very end after just blitzing through it. Cause we were short on time. It's like, and lastly, enjoy game dev. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And he, yeah, he runs that with me. So uh, really podca- podcasts, both obviously like, what y'all are doing with like walking people through that process and so on. Um, part of what I really love about podcasts and what I've liked about podcasting is when you mention these things of like, oh, you know, all these people in high school were kind of were talkers about it, but you only kind of had one example, maybe that you press it in your mind, like Taylor's like, he's a doer. He does stuff yeah. is the way in which podcasts make it possible for a lot of other people in the world to like may not have a Taylor in their life of like yeah. having heard someone who is their sibling or classmate or neighbor that they can could be like, oh, look, someone does make games. Someone there's a person doing that and there's flaws and there's difficulties and it's boring a while when you're bad at it and yeah. so on to kind of go through it when something I've tried to do with my podcast of like, I've been very fortunate through my career zigzagging in and out of every scale I can find of game development at some point of making these connections. And I'm like, not everyone got to meet these wonderful people that I know. And yeah. I want them to get to hear from them and hear their story and maybe relate to like, okay, my situation may not be exactly Chris's or this person's, but one of these episodes that can relate to me, like that person's like me, how they go about it, what they care about their thing and helping make it real to somebody as to like, yeah. And speaking of which, my podcast is gamketo.community. Um, originally named Game Devs Like You, uh, rebranded under the Gamkito umbrella because I was spreading my brand too thin in too many directions. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And that's the fun thing about podcasts is like you said, and it kind of, you know, in your commute to work, all of a sudden you get to kind of surround yourself, quote unquote, with people who are equally like-minded, equally driven, that t- type of thing. And you get to just kind of expose yourself to it. I, I would warn, like sometimes it's possible to get into a kind of a weird bubble where, you know, at least with the podcasts I listen to, um, where you're like listening to these people and they're like, yeah, well, you just do it. Like, you know, I just did it. I just took my first step. And it's like, yeah, but not everybody is going to get the same level of success. You know, I listen to Joe Rogan and I used to listen to the Nerdist and stuff. Hopefully it's not too uh, early to say that with everything that's been going on with the Nerdist lately, but, um, and others, right. But 
the the trick is that like no matter you could copy them step by step but you might not just get that stroke of luck that propelled them into whatever so you know i do i do like to warn people it's like it is possible to sort of um kind of get yourself into that weird bubble where it's like just do it like me yeah know? yeah four hour work week right uh type thing um <laughs> yeah but I, I've, to that point i've literally got uh one of the chapters of my book i'm working on maybe it'll say so maybe it'll change before release or whatever but it opens up with a with a quote from michael jordan about like you know no limitations whatever and i quote him as michael jordan like like decent baseball player <laughs> um, because what I love is like here's a person who obviously world class made a sport famous among people who didn't care about sports somehow yeah. uh, got cast next to cartoons uh, he's so good at what he does and then like took that exact same philosophy that exact same mentality exact same psychology exact same dedication exact same strength and power to this other sport and like I mean yeah he was he's professionally got paid to do it but by any measure not staggeringly world class in this way reminder like yeah okay you can do everything right and have the right mindset and do the stuff and it still may not be a hundred percent just not everybody's necessarily built in the same way for the same outcomes or it happens to be at the right timing of market developments and growth curves of attention and popularity and whatever and like that's that's a real thing that like until we accept that right. we can get really hard on ourselves like how come i haven't had my breakout moment despite having done the same things this person who broke out and uh, uh, Bo Burnham's got some great interviews for these things where we'll talk about like, like Taylor Swift or somebody who winds up in these like one a gazillion chances of things or even like him as Bo Burnham and be like, that's, it's like interviewing lottery winners for like, what's it like to play the lottery? And like yeah. their story is going to be the same as all the losers. <laughs> yeah. As to like, oh, I just played. And then here I am. <laughs> and it's like, okay, but, but really a lot of people say the exact same thing who didn't wind up on television being asked that question. Yeah. See, yeah. I think I think you kind of had a good point in the Enjoy Game Dev Conference. I can't remember the exact way you put it, and both you and Taylor are going to correct me, but find your own pond? Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Yeah, no, it, it, you were talking about um, how the U.S. Navy has, like, the whole ocean. Oh, yeah, yeah, the red you know? ocean, blue ocean stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's based on, like, a marketing book. That's not, like, not terms I invented. Robin Hunnick interests me in those things. But yeah, oh, uh, that's right, yes. You did mention yeah. that in the conference. Yeah, it's, it's that, like, red ocean is, uh, just for listeners who are familiar with marketing terms, like, red ocean is, like, it's red because of the bloody water. It's, it's because, like, huge navies are out there where their aircraft carriers shredding up each other's boats and doing all this damage. And blue ocean is, like, okay, but there's nobody fighting over this territory. And sometimes it's because it's, like, off their attention. Sometimes it's because it's where no one cares about it yet. Well, like that's really where a lot of smaller company opportunities go is sometimes it's like uh, and we see like Kickstarters for like a point and click adventure game. It's like, OK, even if you can kickstart this franchise in this genre and it's enough money to pay for a company of this size, it's still not on the radar for an enormous company because they don't care to move in because those numbers are not going to move the dial for yeah. them paying 9000 employees around the world. That's just not where the genre is at anymore. And so there's these there's these very strategic points of like it can't be a crummier call of duty. It's got to be this bizarre thing that they wouldn't, shouldn't have spent any time and attention on. And yeah, right. I mean, same way too, like, again, like, uh, while I'm suddenly at the opposite of the challenge of like, I need more competition to legitimize the category my business is in. Yeah. Uh, I'm very much not trying to out university to university. I'm very much not trying to out do the other things what they are. I'm like, I'm number one at this. I might yep. be the only one of this I can find. And many of my members, uh, we like survey. I'm like, okay, uh, what do you think our club's mission is and how do you think we're doing at it? And a lot of them rate me at best in the world at what they thought my mission was because I'm the only one they can find that does exactly what we do. And I'm like, mm, yeah, best in the world with this because I'm <laughs> nice. doing it. Absolutely. Well, there's a, uh, some speakers actually telling the story. I think it was either James Malincheck or Steve Siebold about in Las Vegas, 
they talk about like the magician's challenge kind of like me with my my rothko example like the magician's challenge isn't doing magic Magician's challenge is selling all the tickets to all these seats every single night to justify paying for the space they rent as magicians but he said there was a billboard that was like las vegas's number one 11 p.m magician and like he was the <laughs> only show at 11 p.m the other shows are 7 8 9 and 10 p.m his show started at 11 he was number one at that and could claim it with that without any sort of we're going to challenge him. There's no other show. That's it. Uh, like there's this valuable marketing thing. Like what category am I number one in? Even if like, and then I have to struggle with like, who else is even in it? So I can at least like look like there's more going on. But anyway, right. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a marketing thing. No, Great I like point. it. Um, I know that you had kind of something else to do at about three o'clock, right? So. Yeah, I got it. But yeah, uh, the minutes are decaying. We're running out of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're, com- we're coming up against the clock a little bit. We're in the, we're in the final kick as it were. Um, just to finish out and out some, uh, links and things like that. Um, you guys can follow me and Taylor over on, uh, game devs quest on Twitter. We're at game devs quest. Um, and, uh, we also have a discord channel. If anybody wants to come and hang out with some, with some like-minded noobs, um, <laughs> our ga- our discord is just game devs quest, but you can find it bit.ly forward slash GDQ discord. And that's just a good permanent uh, invite link to our Discord for anybody who wants to come that's, in and That's say all hi. lowercase, no dashes? Correct. Correct. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I found and, out that um, capitalization does matter on those. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. And, uh, of course, I think Taylor already said it, but itch.io slash GameDevsQuest, or I'm sorry, did I say that wrong, Taylor? GameDevsQuest.itch.io. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I knew it was kind of bad. You can play uh, Iceberg 2, Wrath of the Dawn. (laughs) 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 Nice. Uh, Anyways. Nice. And and we also, uh, we're trying to do it a little bit more routinely, but we host a very low-pressure, entry-level game jam every once in a while, and it's called we call it the One Mechanic Game Jam. And the whole point behind it is to just have the least amount of stress, the the lowest barrier of entry game jam possible, um, like Taylor said before, like our first game jam game ever was literally just a 15 minute animation. You watch this iceberg melt. Uh, yeah. We have no expectation that anybody's going to come in with slam dunks of games. We just want to get as many people, as many beginners mobilized and working on something and having something to show for it at the end of a weekend as possible. And we've got lots of people that are willing to help out and lend a hand in our discord and all that type of stuff. Um, so if anybody's interested for that, just, you know, keep an eye out on the Twitter uh, when we shout that stuff out. Nice. Uh, and for my side, I'm Chris Delion on the Twitters. That's C-H-R-I-S-D-E-L-E-O-N of Leon. Uh, a company is Gamkedo, G-A-M-K-E-D-O. There's no E in the middle. It's not Gamkedo. Although I do own and squat those domains and email addresses to redirect to mine because it's such a common typo. Smart. Uh, we've got the, uh, and that's the Twitter handle and the website, Gamkedo.com, where you can check out the games, more at the club, the trainers, whatever. Uh, the podcast is Gamkedo.community. The website URL is just gamecuter.community, redirects to it's some libsyn where I host my stuff page. Likewise, there's a games link from gamecuter.com if you want to check out the 50 some odd games released in the past two and a half years from that club. Uh, and my podcast is actually originally was one on one Skype calls, kind of like this, except obviously it was one on one on one. But uh, it's increasingly moved forward now. We take as we take the audio from a club guest speakers, I adapt the audio from that, release that as the podcast so people who aren't in the club can still hear these discussions with questions coming in from club members as just like more voices and attitudes and, and uncertainties besides what I bring to the conversation. Um, but that is Gamkito community, the podcast. 
And uh, oh, there's something you said in there about, oh yeah, yeah, I really like the spirit of your game jam. Obviously it's like right in line with us. And I think one of the things I'm yeah. trying to focus on is uh, to use one more athletic metaphor in a community which is distinctly not notoriously known for its athletics. Um, <laughs> but like, like when people go to run a marathon, right? Like a couple things about it. One, it's pretty rare that people run marathons. Like most people don't run marathons and yet they're still crowded. Of like thousands of people are having this like once in a lifetime, once in their friends group experience, like they're a marathon runner. But I think that there's a level of understanding we have in that of like, very few people who go out to do that even have any expectation at all being in the top five, top 10. That's not even what they're there for. They want to know they're the kind of person who runs marathons and their friends will understand that. And people know like, whoa, that's a person who gets out there and does it and it's hard. And I don't care if they're in the 300th place or the thousandth, they finished a marathon. Yeah. Oh my God. And I think we need, and some of that's just a cultural awareness of like what goes into making games where other developers get that. Many of our friends yeah. who are developers may have a hard time seeing it. But where there's a shared appreciation of like, you did the thing, you ran the marathon, that's cool. I don't care if you weren't in first or third or fifth or 10th, you did the thing. And I think that's part of what people who have a healthy attitude towards it are coming into it is like, I can do this, I can show myself I can do this. And when I do, I'm proud of myself in a way that like, I've earned that respect for myself. And I think that's really kind of what I want to try to find ways. And just like you say with your, your game jam, with Game Keto Club, et cetera, where people are like, I'm doing the thing. And that in itself is already this major victory step compared to everybody else out there who's thought about it, wants to do it, means to do it. One reason or another, steps come up, got distracted, hasn't happened. Um, and try to lower barriers to more people to, to have that experience, to realize like they can. It doesn't have to be something where they have to dominate it to do it at all. Absolutely. And one thing to add on to that, like I, I think it's really important to surround yourself with other game developers if you're making games because they know what it's like to make games. Like, yeah. um, I showed <laughs> I showed my parents on my phone a game I've been working on for like three months, and I like showed them what it was, and they're just like, "Yeah, okay, that's neat." <laughs> I'm like, well, I've probably spent like 300 hours on this thing. Yeah, it's pretty cool, you know. But they wouldn't, they don't have the like the footing to understand what it is. Yeah, there's a certain literacy to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. yeah. You know. And what's more, if I could chime in on the marathon metaphor that we're hammering here, you know, something a lot of people don't uh, ever think about, too, is that marathon runners rarely ever practice. Like they don't run a marathon when they're practicing. Yeah. Most of the time they're running less than half a marathon, if that. It's lots of training, lots of buildup that is not the marathon itself. And so it's OK to take a, a fractured approach to what you're doing, take step by step and analyze it from that far away. But. Um, yeah, nobody goes out and runs a marathon every day and then goes and runs a marathon to cap it off. You know, that's just well, ridiculous. Well, and, and in a way that it maybe is a little too real for our earlier examples of like the way I've seen AAA just be like a blender for some people. Right. Like running a real marathon tears the body up. Like yes. your feet bleed. Like their stomach gets like shaped from their shirt. Like they like it tears them up in a way like you don't do that every time you exercise. You build up to it. You do it so you can do it. And And I've got plenty of friends who... Uh, have done indie game stuff that's been successful and visible and they've made a ton of games before and after that that were not and it might be the same sort of attitude of like they're doing it they're doing it they're doing it i'm gonna like really this is what i'm serious about pushing for position for i'm proud of i know has some traction and potential etc and then they're right back to like look i gotta i gotta go back to a routine a little bit i gotta kind of not exhaust myself it can't be back to back to back there's a handful of those in the world that happen but it's yeah super ultra rare um as to like it, 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 I used to wonder like where these people go. Like I heard their game like five years ago, four years ago, seven years ago. Where they go? And some of them are still making games, but like it's jams, yeah, it's lower key stuff off the grid. Um, yeah, and even if they know how to do it and have done it, they're like, yeah, but not everything that I do 
should have that level of stress, attention, trade-offs in my life made around it, investment, et cetera. Just, no, that's fine. Absolutely. But we just don't see it because they're not investing in publicizing and entering competition stuff. But I think, yeah, yeah I'm nearing the end yeah. of my time as well. Absolutely. Like, it's been great know. chatting, y'all. It has been. Yeah, thanks I'm so confident much, we could talk for the rest of the day if we really had to, but Indeed. we'll cut it here. So thanks so much, Chris. Sure Have thing, a great y'all. rest of your day. Good luck on your next uh, endeavor. Thanks, y'all too. Bye for now.